You can think of today's talk as a sequel of yesterday's. Not that you need to have heard yesterday's to make sense of today's, but for those of you who've heard it, it, it follows quite naturally. Yesterday's talk was uh, called The Path is Laid Down in Walking. And it urged us, I urged you in the talk, to shift the focus from names and objects to verbs. Names and objects, what the Buddha calls nama rupa. Names and objects to processes, from nouns to verbs, same thing. And, and in that sense, that talk could have been labeled also, life is a verb. In today's talk, I will home in on a specific verb. And that verb, strange enough, is teeming. Teeming like swarming. And so, the title of today's talk is Life is Teeming. Let's team with it. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Particularly in the context of a retreat like this. I mean, this guy's crazy up there, right? I mean, we come here to calm our mind, and, and he wants to stir it all up again. Although the choice of verb may feel inconsistent with the practice, I hope to bring home to you the fact that it's not at all inconsistent. On the contrary, that it's very appropriate to the practice. That what is inconsistent with the practice is the way we have been dealing with this teeming life. Trying to extricate ourselves from it. Trying to protect ourselves from life by a simulated aloofness. To make life real, to make frugality and simplicity real, we must first join into the bustle of life. We cannot skip that. Then, and only then, can we start taming life and our own mind. Let me start by describing as graphically as I can the ways in which we fool ourselves and others by fabricating an appearance of tranquility. And I'm sure what I'm talking about is familiar to you, of course. I'm just 
putting the emphasis on it. As I was saying, habitually, instead of dealing with life, we choose to withdraw from it. Yesterday, in, in the first group, our dear friend Jaime was talking about his experience in Buenos Aires. He's a fellow Argentinian who went to Buenos Aires a, a month or so ago. And uh, I, I cannot reproduce his description, but uh, um, simply mention the, that he was shocked, having been absent of the country for two years. The polarization in conditions of life. The, the poor roaming the streets, picking up garbage from the street, and the wealthy, totally isolated in the enclaves. Interestingly, I mean, Jaime wasn't being condemning of anybody in particular, quite the contrary, he had sympathies with both sides, just the way the system develops. And what Jaime was describing is what the wealth, the wealthy have been doing throughout the world, particularly in the third world, for ages, forever, so far as I know, but also in the U.S., In other words, secluding themselves in gated communities, literally gated or figuratively gated, gated in their minds. But the figuratively gated communities are spreading all over this country. The standard feature of Latin America and much of the third world. And for me, today, the quintessential example of a gated community, of a horrendous gated community, is the green zone of Baghdad. As perhaps you know, the the American embassy, the government, the army, the police, all the occupational and governing activities in Iraq are confined to this green zone, including the embedded journalists. They only leave the green zone to make war, and the journalists to record the war as they are supposed to. Anywhere in Baghdad or anywhere in the world, it's abundantly clear this strategy has no lasting, is no lasting solution of anything. It only 
exacerbates the problems it's supposed to solve. But, you know, even the Buddha lived in a gated community. He was a son, I wouldn't say a king, but a, a little king, whatever that means. I, I don't know very much about history of India at that time. Call it a little king. And he was a little prince. And he was uh, secluded in his palace. His father wouldn't let, let him go out unless he sanitized all the environment that he went out into. And just to, just to give you an, a contemporary account of that, this is something that the sutras say, just a paragraph. The Buddha says about how he lived. He says, I had three palaces, three palaces. One for the cold season, one for the hot season, one for the rainy season. During the four months of the rainy season, I was entertained in the rainy season palace by minstrels without a single man among them. A coterie of women. I was all. See the implications of that as well. And I did not once come down from the palace. And he goes on to say that. And he fully acknowledges that. And you know what? Because of that, He felt motivated that he needed to get out of there. That wasn't working. It wasn't delivering happiness. He knew this was part of the problem. And so at age 29, he persuaded his charioteer to explore outside. Give me... Give me. Leave that for later on. The problem, of course, is not in the physical enclaves, horrendous as they are in places like Baghdad, but the real problem I want to address here today is an enclave in our minds. We, we constantly seek a have, safe haven by sheltering our minds from things that feel difficulty. And once we go for the green zone of our mind, we're trapped in there. We don't dare going out. We've created the situation. We are cut within our mental barricades. And these barricades can be subtle things. They're not enormous things, but they are pervasive. I mean, consider what happens when we sit, when all of us, it happens to me too. There are the, those times 
When, when the mind says, enough of this, enough of being with the breath, because I'm with the breath, anything can happen. Let me just seek refuge in the safe concavities of the mind. Let me withdraw from experience because who knows whether experience is going to match my expectations. In fact, I know it's not. I've tried it before. I expect uh, this blissful state and what do I get? And so on. So we withdraw. Say there's pain in the knee or in the back. It takes a lot of persuasion to get the mind to attend, to pay attention to that pain. And if it does, it does in the usual mode of uh, creating an identity around it. In fact, we can even turn the breath into a green zone instead of going to the pain in the knee. We go to the breath and cling to it as hard as we can so we don't feel the pain in the knee, in the head, in the back, wherever it is. The breath which is meant to be a, a, a door, of an opening to experience, still our mind can manage to misuse it as well. Our mind prefers to go back into the archives of memory, you know. Memory has been sanitized, selected, filtered. You have these beautiful memories. Oh, how wonderful. And there's a green zone again. And we spend the whole sitting going over that romance we had or whatever it was. This is not solving anything. Just going back to the same old patterns we've been trapped into. What will it take to persuade the mind to break away from the designated green zones of it and come into the midst of life, into the midst of experience? I would say that for most of us, certainly that was my experience, it cannot be done suddenly. It's got to be done gradually with, with a, a, a lot of compassion for our condition and start with brief incursions beyond that green zone. That we are lodged in, yeah, easily. And that's, of course, what the Buddha did too, as I started saying before. Um, the Buddha had a charioteer, somebody who's a chauffeur, if you wish, of those times. And he, he persuaded his charioteer to take him out to explore the world. And, um, and sure enough, 
in this exploration or explorations, I can't remember now whether it's one or several, he met what in the sutras are called the four heavenly messengers. Messengers from God. Which were an old person having great difficulty moving about. You see, he had been sheltered, shielded from the fact that people get old. He was surrounded by all these, I presume, beautiful young women in his rain palace and, and other, I'm sure, many other beautiful young women in all three palaces. He knew there was something missing there. <laughs> and so, he meets the, the old man, a very sick man, and then he runs into this very common sight in India, not common here, a corpse being carried around. You know, corpses in India are being carried around in all kinds of, of ways, of rickshaws, by hand, whatever. And there they are. And he, he said, hey, you know, there's something I need to investigate. And the fourth messenger is, a, is, is what's called a saddle, a, um, a mendicant monk, or whatever the translation of saddle would be here. And as a result of that, he says, enough of green zone, enough of palaces. I go into the world. And he became a mendicant monk himself, a saddle himself, with all kinds of, of course, uh, hardships and difficulties, and so on. And this is, of course, emblematic, metaphoric for what we do in our mind. The Buddha is telling these stories because, well, they are, I'm sure they are true, but also because they are emblematic. And, and there are, of course, many other versions of this emblematic exploration outside the green zones. I was reading in the paper the other day about um, an event in Prospect Park called, what was it called? It was built like Take Back the Night Run. Basically, a whole bunch of people from, largely from Brooklyn, um, and particularly women, because this is a, a women's issue, but not exclusively women, went into the park and stayed there supporting each other in the middle of the night so as to tell themselves this is also my territory. I don't accept to be confined out of the park at night. And this is beautiful because not so much because it in itself is going to transform the dangers in Prospect Park. I, I wouldn't know about that. It may do something to ameliorate that. But particularly the main goal of this take back the night run is take back the, the mind as well. 
make it possible for us to feel free, feel freely about Prospect Park, not see it as a place to run away from. And of course, there are all kinds of other things that are take up the non-green zone excursions. I'm, I'm forever deeply touched and very compassionate for those independent journalists in Baghdad that I see sometimes, particularly in Amy Goodman's shows, in other shows, I'm sure, who risk their lives. And many have been killed, yes. Walking out of the green zone to, to report to others, surely, but also, in a way, proud of the freedom, their condition. And of course, I'm not saying when it's appropriate to go into Prospect Park at night or Central Park at night, or, or when is it appropriate to go into Baghdad, even in the middle of the day. But what I'm talking about is the willingness to explore instead of being locked in, as the Buddha did. To challenge the idea of a barricade. To, to make ourselves ready to meet the challenge of freedom. Make ourselves ready to really explore, to venture into the dark, difficult areas of our mind because that's what I'm talking about in the mind and see as we venture out that we don't get destroyed but that instead that we come back to our more habitual place of comfort fortified practice of course is the arena for this is very much the arena for this as I mentioned before over and over again the mind tries to withdraw from experience noticing that noticing that tendency to withdraw and, and yeah acknowledging acknowledging that experiences experiences unreliable but not seeing the unreliable as undesirable if we don't go into the unreliable we are prisoners in the mind the, the dangers are not literal but still sometimes they feel like literal and and there are times when we have to respect, well, I'm not ready to step into that. This memory is really much too painful for me. I, I just look at that 
acknowledge that and, and go where I can. At other times, we discover, hey, it was okay to go there. And so we step our toe in the water. It feels, it's not that cold after all. We can go. So at times, even without planning, the mind finds itself immersed in experiences, having stepped out of the green zone, in, immersed in that teemingness, teemingness of the mind. And lo and behold, it discovers it's okay. Wow, not only okay, but there's peace there too. slowly goes into this take bite, take back the night run, I should say, take back the mind run, and discovers it comes back somewhat transformed. And when that happens, we begin to be ready to really really, really say goodbye to the green zones in our mind. Just as the Buddha eventually felt, he was ready to leave the palace. Leave the palace. So, what is it like when we leave the palace, the green zones of the mind? It's there that we can become willing to drop any attempt to make life conform to our expectations. It's it's there that we can make peace with things as they are. Resting in the awareness. This is the way things are. Wow. No problem. You know, I, I feel pain in the knee. I feel pain in the knee. I feel a headache. I feel a headache. I, I have a pain in the heart, which is still more difficult, truly, and I, I, most of the time, than a pain in the knee and a pain in the head. I feel pain in the heart. I don't have to lock myself up not to see it. I can see it, be with it, and lo and behold, it gets processed somehow. It's less of a monster than it seemed to be. I mean, people here in the groups and the inquiry have testified to that sort of thing over and over again. So, the practice is an invitation to open fully to the experience of life. What is close at hand, of course, is the physical experiences. So, we sit, we 
direct attention to parts of the body. We can feel tingling, we can feel tickling, titillation, we can feel vibrations, we can feel pulsing, prickling, vibrating, well-being, sometimes there's a feeling of well-being, ill-being, sometimes there's a feeling of ill-being, and be with that. Sometimes there's, there's no particular sensation coming up, a silence of sensation. And we're with all that. And we're with all that. And that is a, a way of exploring. That's a, call it our prospect park. <laughs> we, we venture into areas of the body. It can be in connection with the breath in the nostrils and the chest. It can be any way of exploring your body. Some people do body scans, it's fair enough. Whichever way. And, and boy, we come back from that uh, run through the body. That's okay. It's okay to be open there. Another particular location in the body we can go to, and I, I find it uh, very rewarding. It's a heart area. Uh, I haven't emphasized that. We, we can do just a little bit of that, just, uh, just taking a moment. And maybe close our eyes, whatever, whatever is appropriate. And, uh, and, and go to the heart area, and of course, uh, feel the whatever we feel, you know. Obvious thing is we might feel the, faintly at least, the pulsing of the heart. Interestingly enough, uh, when the mind goes to the heart area, it often allows itself to open up to, to the feeling life as well. To the, at times, uh, waves of, of sadness. Fair enough. At times, ways of joy and rapture. Fair enough. The heart and our feeling life teeming. Offering themselves to us in the full reality of the richness. Life teeming inside us, life teeming outside. 
And as uh, often the case, I couldn't resist uh, my dear Pablo Neruda. So let me share him with you. Oops. This is a poem that's called in Spanish, Lo que nace conmigo. That's to say, what is born with me. I'll read it in English. Almost all the poem. I sing to the grass that is born with me in this free moment, to the fermentations of cheese, of vinegar, to the secret spurt of the first semen. I sing to the song of milk, which now comes in rising whiteness to the nipples. I think to the fertility of the stable, to the fresh dung of great cows from whose aroma fly multitudes of blue wings. I speak without any shift of what's happening now to the bumblebee with its honey, to the lichen in its groundless germination. Like an everlasting drum sounds of yeah, like an everlasting drum sounds the flow of succession, the course from being to being, and I'm born, I'm born, I'm born, with all that's being born. I'm one with growing, with the spread silence of everything that surrounds me, teeming, propagating itself in the dense, damp, in threads, in tigers, in jelly. When I picked out the jungle to learn how to be, leaf by leaf, I went on with my lessons and learned to be root, deep clay, voiceless earth, transparent night, and beyond that, bit by bit, the whole jungle. And you'll forgive me if I can't resist saying it in Spanish. The, the last, just the last uh, stance. Just, it's, it's enriching not to understand the words. It's, it's teeming with sounds. Cuando escogí la selva para aprender a ser, hoja por hoja, extendí mis lecciones y aprendí a ser raíz, barro profundo, tierra callada, noche cristalina, y poco a poco más toda la selva. The whole jungle. And so, with Neruda, 
I'm the whole jungle. Not just the trees above ground, but the roots as well. Not just the roots, but the ground where they thrive. A ground that's teeming with microbial life, whose composting makes the whole jungle possible. And that's true for the jungle out there, and it's true for the jungle in here. Let's not forget. We are one with the world, really, once we leave the green zones. I was also inspired by reading an article in the the recent, the, the last issue of the Shambhala Sun, a, 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 an article by this exquisite woman, Bella Hooks, who insists in writing her name with small letters. <laughs> In that article, <laughs> she recalls an interview she had years ago with uh, Tignat Han. And during that interview, she shared with the uh, tires, Tignat Han is called, the anger that she had, had developed is seizing her anger against the man in her life at the time. And Ty's answer, spoken with great tenderness, she says, was, hold on to your anger and use it as compost for your God. Wow. I would say for your jungle, to keep up the metaphor running. It's this teeming composting in our minds that eventually makes it possible for peace and liberation to emerge, for our garden to grow, for things to get so quiet, so very quiet, that we don't even need to move because we are endowed with an equanimity that's rooted in that compost. So, let's sit for a few minutes together. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.